if you're like 50 and you've got uh, four kids and you're saving for the uh, marriage of one of them and the university fees for the other one yeah then obviously you know you can't afford to take a hit yeah whereas what we can do is afford to take that hit yeah because we know that there's potential for a lot of gain yeah and we've got like we've thrown our uh, you know fishing uh, what do you call those hook things yeah baits. Uh, baits we've thrown our baits into the river and we can sit there for, for 10 years no problem whereas if you're 55 you can't sit there for 10 years no problem yeah if like if some shark comes along and pulls you down yeah. to continue this analogy it's game over it's game over welcome to the millionaire muslim podcast by islamicfinanceguru.com where we talk halal investing finance entrepreneurship and getting ahead in life we're your host mohsin patel and ibrahim khan so mohsin first podcast it what is... we uh, what we're going to talk about I think we should talk about our biggest lessons in investing. So my biggest lesson in investing is make loads of money and do it in a halal way. It's not a bad one, is it? Yeah. No, on a serious note, I think um, when I first started investing, I think that my biggest prohibiting factor was the fact that I always thought that investing was for city professionals rather than everyday people like me and you okay um and i suppose because i remember we we had a chat initially when i first started thinking about the stock market and stuff like that many moons ago many moons ago um and you know i think at the time it was weird because i thought there was there was like a clear way that you could make money from the stock market, i.e. that there was a right way and there was a wrong way. Yeah. Um, and you see that, I mean, it does exist. Uh, you know, we've learned a lot more about it now through like technical analysis, yeah. which we might go into either later in this podcast or maybe in a different one. But technical analysis for, for those of our audience who don't understand what that is, um, that's basically looking at charts um, and trying to see it as a science. Okay. Um, and so where you see a, a, a price uh, in a chart at a particular point, then, you know, with, with certain tools, um, technical analysts would say that you can predict where the price is going to go. And I thought that's what all of stock market investing was. Um, I thought there yeah. was, you know, this secret that you had to crack. Um, and then once you had those answers, you just make money from the stock market. Um and now that, I mean, just articulating that right now just sounds ridiculous, but actually, you know, putting myself in the shoes of that person that I was before I started investing, yeah, I actually don't think that's an unreasonable thing to think because people are so daunted by the stock market. Um, like I said, they think it's the domain of city professionals and Wall Street and all that stuff um, that they're just completely put off investing because they don't actually understand what it involves. Yeah. So I suppose what you're saying is, it's not rocket science, essentially. Yeah, basically, um, and it's interesting you say that actually because one of the um, one of the books that I always recommend to people who are looking to start out, and definitely you guys listening to this podcast should check it out as well. Um, it's a book by Peter Lynch, and it's called One Upon Wall Street. Um, now, Peter Lynch, for those of you who don't know him, and I'm guessing a lot of our audience don't know who he is, um, he's one of the most successful fund managers in recent history. Um, I think his return was average return 
uh, was something ridiculous, like twenty nine percent a year, um, which is crazy. I mean, in put it putting in context, uh, what's like the FTSE returned what six percent last year, five percent, like even even less, I think. Yeah, um, and that's in a bull market. Yeah, um, and 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 compare it to a house. I mean, that's an easy way of thinking about, it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So if you rent out a house in London, you're going to get five percent return. Yeah, and that's that's all right. Yeah, um, it's not amazing. And if you rent a house in I don't know Bolton or somewhere, yeah. you get eight to ten percent. Yeah, possibly. So, yeah. and and if if you're investing in stocks, then obviously you want to get more than that to some extent because it's a riskier asset. Mm. Um, so you'd want to have a little bit of a premium on top of that. Mm. Um, but even then, twenty five percent is still re- like it's much much more than yeah. you'd expect. Yeah, so well, well he was twenty nine percent. So it's, it's even more ridiculous. I see. I see. Um, so, so all right. So that there's investing, and then there's halal investing, isn't there? Yeah. Um, what's because we, we hear that term bandied around quite a bit these days. I mean, I, I have a certain view of what that means. Mm. Um, what What did you understand from it at the start of your journey, um, as opposed to now? Because obviously now you're the Islamic finance guru, right? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, um, halal investing. I mean, I suppose it's what what everyone really. I mean, it's the same view that everyone's going to have when they boil it down. It's just making sure that all your investments are halal, right? But actually, getting to that point where you understand what's halal or not is is actually quite tricky. Um, so I know that, for example. I mean, you you started investing in stocks quite a while back as well, didn't you? Yeah, I think I was still in my diapers at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, just trading away. I, I actually remember when I was um, I was still at university. Uh, it was actually before university I started um, investing, and I remember I was seventeen. So my I, I couldn't legally open a shares account, <laughs> so I had to use my dad's account. Um, to actually get shares get shares on there and then I had to memorize my dad's date of birth in case I have to call up <laughs> share.com at the time I was using um, and then during my uh, gap year I remember trading on shares using this little netbook that I had this ASA netbook in uh, the middle of the uh, Saudi desert um, <laughs> using um, what were you doing in the Saudi desert oh, I was uh, it was a black camp I was getting uh, <laughs> I was getting beaten up um, <laughs> For some stock ideas. Yeah. Sure. No, I was. We were on the way because my dad used to work in Saudi, so I was on our way to uh, Umrah. And on the journey, uh, they had these little dongles for internet that you could just use. The, you know, the four, oh, yeah, yeah, the three G yeah. connection. Yeah. And so I had that going, and I was using a English uh, stockbroker <laughs> to deal in a Swiss stock <laughs> sat in the middle of the Saudi desert. Fantastic. And I thought this is this is amazing. Like, this, this is the life. This is technology. Yes, um, but getting back to the point, so halal investing. Halal investing, yeah. Um, sorry. So yeah, so for me, it was all about you know how can I make sure that whatever I'm investing is halal, and I suppose at the start of my journey, it was quite simple. It was well, you know, you just avoid gambling stocks, you avoid you know companies that sell pork or something like that. Um, but then obviously, as you as you delve into it, um, you realise it's a lot more complicated than that. <clears throat> um, and and you know through the website we get loads loads of queries of people asking the same thing um and so now i've come to understand what it takes to actually 
uh, screen a stock basically so that it's halal. So yeah, that, I mean that's that's basically it, right? So now I've got my methodology. Yeah. Um, I understand. You know, if I'm doing my normal research on a company, um, the first thing I'll do, and it's the first thing I yeah. do now rather than the last thing I do, um, because sometimes you can grow in love with a company and you realise that it's actually haram. Yeah. Oh, that's happened to me a few times. <laughs> there was this. Uh, there was recently there was a um, there was a, a kettle company mm. that uh, if any of you have got kettles, which um, now that I've done my research, should be most of you apart from the Americans. So the Americans, for some reason, don't have that many kettles, um, which is bizarre. I mean, you guys need to get on it. Um, every kettle has this like clicking sound at the end mm. when it finishes boiling, and that mechanism is. Um, pretty much the domain like a monopoly of this one company okay um and uh i absolutely love monopolies because you know they're fantastic to buy we can talk about that later on maybe yeah warren, warren buffett talks about some of that stuff and when his concept yeah. of moats and and stuff like that but yeah we, we can we can talk about that at some point so you've got this kettle company and uh making profit year on year going up um i really like it um it's got a lot of potential in other areas as well because the same tech can apply elsewhere. But sadly, it turned out, and this is you know why uh, we always tell our um, you know people who our followers and our clients and stuff that you should screen the stock um, before you actually do too much research yeah. because otherwise it's a bit of a waste of time. Yeah. Um, don't, so, don't fall in love before you realise it's uh, haram, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's the key message. Um, and. Um, uh, the other thing I was thinking about this whole halal thing is um, there's an interesting uh, there's an interesting discussion about whether or not different techniques and different styles of investing are haram or halal as well. Okay, yeah, yeah, I see that. So like day trading. Yeah. Um, the people say that investing generally, they say it can be it's a bit like gambling. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Um, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I've got some thoughts on that, but I'll uh, I'll let you I'll let you carry on. <laughs> um, so, my, I mean, my thoughts are, I suppose that it, stock trading is um, when it's done with a long term view, and when it's done with a uh, view of holding a company um, as a stockholder yeah. as opposed to just a trader. I don't think there's very much. Um, doubt at all in my mind that that's not gambling at all yeah and uh, i suppose that's why that's why i say that i've got some views because that's as you know that's my investing style um yeah well it's, it's both of our investing style we we look for companies that we can see ourselves holding for five ten for, well for life i suppose yeah um and so i think it is fairly uncontroversial to say that that style of investing is is halal um and then yeah you're right you've got people that trade i mean it's quite it's quite fashionable isn't it trading um you get all these adverts about you know trade forex and trade the pound and this that the other and we, we've got an article on it on on the website um if you type in forex into islamicfinanceguru.com you'll be able to find it and there's some discussion there about our views on forex for example but um yeah you know that's that's this more glamorous stuff that people get sucked into and i think when people think about the stock market that's actually what a lot of people think about, um, whereas actually our, our style is a bit different. So, I, I mean, for me, it's not gambling at all. We do a lot of research when yeah. we put our money in. Um, and, you know, it's funny because when, when people invest money, yeah, um, 
they've got all sorts of rationale for coming up with uh, you know when they should buy, when they should sell, this, that, the other. But often, my view is that if you've researched a company well enough, you should just hold it. Um, and of course, that's uh, that's Warren Buffett's view as well. Yeah, and um, and I suppose the the other thing um, with with this whole um, halal investment stuff is um, if you are in fact day trading, then I mean, putting aside whether or not from a charity analysis this works or not, um, there's also just a concern that. You, as a retail investor, by retail investor, I mean just ordinary Joe Blogs on the street, you're not going to have necessarily the kind of um, computer um, power that yeah. you need these days to be able to compete with uh, you know, quantum trading that's going on in the city. So let me stop you there. A lot, of yeah. our, a lot of our audience won't know what goes on in the city and trading and this, that, and the other. So why, yeah. don't, you, why don't you talk about... Because um, I think what you're getting at is yeah. human elements and how that's evolved over recent years. So why don't you talk a little bit about that um, in terms of how trading actually happens on the stock market from yeah. a day trading perspective? Um, so uh, historically, you know, you see those pictures of um, uh, brokers who are standing on the stock market floor, waving their little coupons and shouting and screaming. And these days, um, that's not really how it's done. These days, they're, they're all sat in their various different offices. And actually, the, the most important thing these days is the connection you have to um, the internet and the connection you have to the main uh, stock market servers. And so there's, there's actually a bit of a premium, funnily enough, for certain locations that are around the, maybe the London Stock Exchange or other key hubs where all of this financial information is flowing through. Mm. And um, companies will literally compete for that stuff, yeah, um, and uh, and there's you know there's all sorts of um, uh, you know shenanigans that happen on the tech front to get the be- like the, get the advantage, and and the reason why they do that is because investment has changed so dramatically over the last you know decade or so, where now I think they were saying a huge proportion. I'm not sure the exact number like if I can recall correctly, but I think at least twenty five, maybe even fifty percent of of trading that happens on the stock market these days is literally for fractions of seconds or or for you know seconds or minutes mm. um, and it's done by computers yeah against other computers yeah and um, that's just crazy so i suppose the city has involved a hell of a lot um and and actually a, a lot of the trades are now quite robotic um but then in a way doesn't that cut across what you were saying earlier which is that um uh, it's not rocket science because literally these days city uh, banks are hiring rocket scientists <laughs> and then they go you know they're getting them to trade so it might actually be rocket science is that not is that fair no well i mean it's fair insofar as day trading goes um so you're right obviously you know these computers are carrying out these uh, algo trades and that's what's happening and that's what's driving a lot of the stock market um, but I want to just get back to reality in terms of people like me, you, and the people listening to this. Where we get involved is we've got you know some money in our bank account, or we're putting it away into a pension, or you know we're putting it, we're saving some money every month and putting it into you know a stocks ISA or something. Yeah, and we're just looking actually to 
park our money somewhere where we're going to get a decent return every year. We're not bothered about algo trading and day trading and all that stuff. Um, and actually, there is very much a space for humans in the idea of just, you know, long-term investing, full stop. Um, and that's that's the point that really that I'm getting at, where it's not rocket science to find a company, research it, and and when I say research it and find a company, I mean Peter Lynch has got a really really interesting example, um, and I'm I'm doing this from memory, so forgive me for for any mistakes, but I'm pretty sure I'm about ninety nine percent right. Um, so what he did, he he went into a school, picked up. Um, I think he got given a class or something like that, and he sort of gave them a bit of a briefing on what they should do when they look for companies. Okay. Um, quite a simplistic sort of overview. Um, and then what he did is he observed them coming up with their socks. Um, and interestingly, the kids went for—I mean, quite naturally—they went for stuff that they liked. Hmm. So, for example, a lot of them you know watch certain tv shows yeah um that were made by disney for example so they opted to put disney into their sort of fantasy portfolio um and a bunch of other stuff um with similar rationale okay um and actually one of the things that peter lynch talks about is how some of his very best ideas um came from ordinary people so like people like his wife who wasn't um a city or a, or a wall street professional um she comes home tells him about this great thing that she's seen yeah. uh, and that she's picked up and then that's just that's the thing that inspires peter lynch to go and look more at this company yeah um and so actually when you just use your common sense well, i suppose it's not common sense it's but it's about thinking about things in a commercial context um and just making your everyday uh life and everyday surroundings you know, putting a commercial head on it and an investing head on it, yeah. um, and thinking about you know, does this make this company actually and have I a su- competitive advantage? I suppose that's what, in a way, that's what a fund manager adds adds to the mix, isn't it? So, yeah. um, I think a lot of people they when they when they start investing, they they need to develop a, almost a commercial instinct and a mm. business savvy about them. Yeah. Um, and not just uh, like a business savvy that you need on the high street, yeah. But almost like a more macro kind of uh, business savvy. Mm. Um, so I reckon so. Like P- Peter, uh, what's he called? Peter Lynch. Yeah, Peter his, Lynch. Yeah. His wife uh, probably had that great idea about oh, this is a company that's doing well. Mm. But it's only Peter Lynch who then goes away and does his due diligence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And out of like the five different conversations he's had from ordinary Joe blogs, yeah, he he'll then. Uh, look at it look at the financials yeah and um, he'll also and I think this is a key thing from a fund manager's perspective he'll also just see how it fits in against other companies yeah that also do the same thing yeah um, so he'll he'll look at not just on an absolute level is this a good company to invest in fine I'll invest in it but is this the best company that I can invest in in this sector and the reason why he asks in this sector is because he doesn't want to pick 10 different companies, but they're all from the different, same or similar sectors, because then, you know, you have the whole problem about diversification of risk. Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, so that's that's the value that a fund manager can can give you. So for the audience, a fund manager is someone who basically manages money. 
Um, and you know, you guys will be investing in pensions, and that pension money will be going into a particular fund, which I hope is halal, by the way. Um, and that fund will have a pen. Will have a, a fund manager. Sorry. Um, and you want it to be someone like Peter Lynch, who's going to return you twenty nine percent every year. Although that's very very unlikely. Um, but let's just take a step back and think about, you know, how do me and you do this? How do me and you um, find ordinary companies, or how do we find them in our ordinary lives, um, and actually stumble across them and think, wow, you know what, that is an amazing investment idea, um, because it's all well and good as sitting here and say, you know, Peter Lynch did this, um, and interestingly, Peter Lynch, in, in the book that I recommended earlier on, One Up on Wall Street, he actually talks about how, you know, ordinary people like me and you, we might think that fund managers get their investment ideas through really sophisticated means. But one of the things that he talks about is how a lot of his really good investment ideas were just from ordinary people. Um, so he was talking about Taco Bell, which is one of his great investments. He, what triggered him to look into Taco Bell was that he had a burrito there on a trip to California. So it's something simple like that that might trigger your initial interest in a company. Um, and I suppose if you think about um, that in our everyday context, it might be that you get a great gift, for example, or you start realizing that when you're looking for a gift for somebody, you always default to one company mm -hmm. who they do like the best products. And there's nobody really that you'd want to go with um, other than that company. And then you think, well, hang on, if that's what I'm doing, that's probably what everyone else is doing. Um, and these guys have actually got really, really great potential to grow into other areas. And mm. then and then you start putting your business hat on and thinking, you know what? Um, they've got X, Y, Z opportunity. Let's have a look at the, you know, the, the company, the accounts themselves. Um, you look into the you accounts. You said something quite scary there. Look at the accounts themselves. Yeah, that is quite scary, isn't it? I remember when I first started investing, um, I had this quite naive idea that, I could get away with investing without understanding accounts. Um, and if there's one thing that listeners take away from this, one, that you can't get away with looking with not looking at accounts, but two, don't be afraid of it. Yeah, um, They're actually not that daunting at all. Um, it is worth spending time um, understanding accounts. Um, like, accountants are not geniuses, are they? They're not. So if they can do it, we can do it. And to be honest, when I've spoken to accountants about um, looking at accounts for a company uh, in the context of analysing something for investment, yeah, they're actually not the best people to speak to um, because they're looking at it from a particular technical point of view. Mm. So it's like, you know, in our world, so for the viewers, Ibrahim and I are lawyers, corporate lawyers. So in our world, if you want someone to look at a legal document to understand if it works not from a legal perspective but if it just works from a commercial perspective yeah often you're not really speaking to legal people you'll you'll you know you'll pass it on to the client who'll have a look at it and say actually no that doesn't really achieve what we want it to achieve yeah um so i suppose what i'm saying is that when you look at accounts from an investing angle you look for the right things mm. or you hope you look for the right things um where accountants can be good is um, helping you spot certain red flags and things like that. And there are loads of tricks that you can use 
um, to spot things like that, hopefully. Um, but what I want you guys to take away is that with accounts, you can definitely get to know them quite quickly and get comfortable around them. And you should get comfortable around them because they're really, really important. They're, they're basically a snapshot of the company that you're investing in. Yeah. So if you're going to put your hard money, hard-earned money into a, into a company, you jolly well should know what their accounts look like because that's that's the business of the company so all right so let's take a step back let's say you've got a thousand pounds sat in your account right now Mm. um what are like what's the next steps to actually build a portfolio so in my mind it's you need to think about how many stocks should i be aiming at for a start yeah so i think 10 is probably decent number diversified enough you know 20s great you know it, it depends again on your risk appetite and maybe we can talk about this in yeah future it's, a whole, it's a whole different episode i suppose but broadly let's say 10 let's let, say 10 yeah let's say 10. it depends how much money you've got as well yeah. right? i mean if you've got a million quid yeah you probably don't want to spread it over 10 companies because that'll be quite a small number quite risky yeah quite risky um so in broad terms basically you know how do you think about it do you i mean do you think about so we're quite young um so i i would only put my uh money into about 10 to maximum 15 stocks yeah um and i'd prefer it to be nearer 10 rather than 15 and the reason for that is because we're young we can hold companies for quite a while we don't have loads of money um compared to someone who's like 65 yeah who's got hundreds of thousands if not more than that saved up Mm. um so i'm quite you know quite aggressive in my investment approach yeah and so that's you know that i would say 10 but obviously if you're like 50 and you've got uh four kids and you're saving for the uh marriage of one of them and the university fees for the other one yeah then obviously you know you can't afford to take a hit yeah whereas what we can do is afford to take that hit yeah because we know that there's potential for a lot of gain yeah and we've got like we've thrown our uh you know, fishing, uh, what do you call those hook things? Yeah, baits. Uh, baits. We've thrown our baits into the river and we can sit there for, for 10 years, no problem. Whereas if you're 55, you can't sit there for 10 years, no problem. Yeah. If like, if some shark comes along and pulls you down, yeah. to continue this analogy. It's game over. It's game over. Whereas if some, some shark comes along and pulls us down, we'll just let go of the fishing rod and be like, fine, have our 1K or 2K. We'll get another fishing rod. Exactly, we'll get another fishing rod. Yeah, no, that's a good point because um, it's really important that as individuals we think about our risk appetite um so you know like you said if if you're young and you can afford to take a few hits um a bit like tyson fury he took two hits didn't he um so if you're young you can get back up and it's not really a problem um so you can afford to be a bit more aggressive um in the hope of greater returns but if you're not that young then you don't really want to be risking that so So yeah. What's so? Let's all right. Let's um, take a stock of where we are. We've said it's not rocket science. Yeah. Um, it's not gambling. No. Um, or at least we've parked the question of if it is gambling. Um, if you're day trading. Yeah. In mean, my personal view, it's probably not gambling even then. But um, I know other people, uh, uh, scholars have disagreed with that. Mm. Um, so all right. So not not um. But, but I think when that? when we're talking about when we're talking about investing, we're thinking about it from a long term angle. Yeah, right. So that's not gambling. Um, and then 
it's uh, it's open to everyone to do. You, you can start today, right? Yeah. Um, if you research some stocks and um, read, I, I'd recommend reading a few books. Um, so yeah. uh, look online. Have a look on our website. Actually, we've got an article on um, investing and you know investing from a complete beginner's guide. There are loads of articles actually that we've done. Yeah. Um, and there are some books on there. But briefly, I'll mention probably two or three. So the first one's the one I mentioned at the top of the podcast, which is Peter Lynch, One Up on Wall Street. Um, the other one that I quite like um, is... The Little Book of Value Investing is a really good one. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Graham, The Intelligent Investor. Yeah. That's, that's quite heavy. It's quite heavy for a, for a beginner. Yeah. Um, there's also, I mean, so as you know, like we, we, we quite like to go for smaller companies. Um, and there's a book called The Zulu Principle, which if you're in, interested in looking at smaller companies um, on the stock market, so things at the more junior end of the scale where perhaps the growth potential is quite high, um, but also the risk is quite high. Um, the Zulu Principle is a really good book for an intro on, on all that stuff. Interesting. I'll have to read that. I've not actually read that. Um, and then I suppose the final thing to say is um, you have to make sure that all your stocks are actually halal. Mm. Um, and we're actually running a course on this um, in the next, uh, when's it, 13th of January. Yeah. Um, so we'll take you through step by step on actually how to screen a stock from a um, charity perspective. Because we get quite a few emails um, from you guys asking us to do precisely this. Um, and we've realized that we need to not only just tell you how it's done but to show you how it's done yeah um, and obviously we'll be uh, as part of that whole process we'll be uh, taking you through from start to finish and how it how it happens um, so yeah do please sign up on that uh, it will be it's a great way of supporting what we're doing at IFG um, so um, if you know if you believe in what we're doing and you've been following us um, it'll be great for you to um, participate and also uh, sign up to our website uh, on the, our email list and um, we do regular tafasir sessions as well on YouTube which you'll find on our website as well um, there's lots going on basically um, yeah the course the link I think is um, if you go on the islamicfinanceguru.com website there's a tab at the top that says courses and if you click on there you'll find the course um, as Ibrahim said we do we do the tafsir we've got loads of articles um, yeah, subscribe. You'll you'll be the first to hear about anything that we do, and also subscribe to this podcast so you get all the future episodes. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.